Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money. And today we're finding out, is an NBA worth the investment? In a chat with Alex Grognick. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. We had a question into the podcast last month from Brendan, and he was really trying to figure out whether getting a graduate degree, an MBA in particular, was worth the investment because it is, you know, a big chunk of money. Like we're talking potentially $100,000 for an MBA, some of the schools. 
But not only that, it means, you know, leaving the career that you're at now and giving up whatever salary that you have to go chase after your MBA and not knowing, you know, what's going to happen on the other end. Like, are you going to get, you know, an even better, better job? Are you going to you know, make more money? Or, you know, are you going to be back kind of stuck in that like student loan payoff hell that a lot of us seem to be in? And so it's a it's a tough question, you know, for sure. And so, you know, I, I like to do things a little bit differently on Fridays. And uh, one of my one of my friends, Alex Grodnett is just somebody that you need to know. He is a Wall Street guy. He's an investment guy. He got his MBA, stopped his career, stopped a very lucrative career to chase after his MBA. And, you know, sort of has always had this entrepreneurial bug inside of him and decided to, you know, start ventures in the financial technology world. He also uh, has a podcast himself called Wall Street Oasis. So he's got his hands in a lot of different pots, but I really thought, you know, it would be awesome to hear from somebody who's just gone through this and to hear what their perspective is and then also to hear about their journey because, you know, as I always say on this podcast, if you can learn anything, I think it really is that everybody has a completely unique journey and nobody has a smooth path towards anything. You know, Alex gave up a really large salary to chase after his MBA and now he's working at a a startup company, basically, not making a ton of cash, but is happier, is really going after his passions. And, you know, I think sometimes we get totally mixed up about our priorities and, you know, we're so in this mode that we've got to just keep making money and keep making more money and more money and more money and more things and more stuff. And we keep throwing all this stuff at us. And then we get to this point where we either like break down or we're depressed or, life just isn't turning out the way we want it to. I've been there before in my past, probably like many times where I'm just looking at my life thinking, you know, I want it to just look a little bit different and I have to be proactive in that. And sometimes that means taking steps that don't always make a whole lot of financial sense, but in the end can end up turning out to be one of the best investments. and. You know, I think that that's always a good reminder because we are, again, in this culture of, you know, reading all these articles about people who paid off their debt and like rapid time and, you know, paid off my student loans in two years. And then you read that. And if you have student loans, like you feel so guilty, you feel terrible. Like, how come I couldn't have paid off my loans in in two years? Well, it's just not always that simple. And sometimes, you know, we want to take a different path in life. And sometimes that means you got to go in debt. And I'm here to tell you, that's just not always a bad thing. Growing up, I was the entrepreneur kid, the lemonade stands, car washes, selling stuff door to door. I was, was that guy always thinking of, you know, the next way to make money from, uh, from people in in my small town. Um, And my dad was an entrepreneur. His parents were entrepreneurs. So like that kind of was in my blood, but I don't know, there was something in me. Maybe it was something my parents said, like, you know, go get a job for a uh, big company, go work in finance. My mom, I can remember my mom always saying, learn to shave on someone else's beard. And (laughs) I've not heard that one before. That one's pretty awesome. Yeah. uh, And so it was like, okay, you know, maybe it'll be good for me to go 
find some job working and learning from, from, from other people. And, uh, you know, that's something my parents never did. And, uh, and so I went to college. I went to school on the East Coast to Lehigh in Pennsylvania, kind of with the aspirations of going to work on Wall Street. And I, I grew up on the West Coast. I grew up in Park City, Utah. So like to ski and a lot of snow. But uh, went, out to, went out to Lehigh, thought I'd go work in Wall Street, and then come time for graduation, 2009. And as you and your listeners probably know, there weren't a lot of finance jobs in, or jobs in general in 2009. I mean, our career fair was the day after Bear Stearns collapsed. So ah. it, yeah, it was kind of scary. And I thought, okay, maybe I will work at Starbucks. Um, and I wasn't really quite sure what to do, but I kind of just took the mentality that I'm going to be persistent and I'm going to send out 20 resumes a day and cold emails and cold phone calls and just try to make something happen for myself uh, be- because it, it wasn't uh, going to happen from, from on-campus recruiting. And luckily, I got a job with JP Morgan in their like private wealth management group. And so, you know, it wasn't what I thought I would be doing. I thought I was going to work in investment banking, but this seemed like a great next step. Instead of investment banking, I was still going to work for an investment bank, learn some skills. There was training in New York uh, for three months. And so that was cool three months. Uh, And the job was going to be in New York. And then I got there on my first day and they said, you know, Alex, we don't have a spot for you in New York. So I was like, oh no, do I not have a job? They said, no, no, like you can, we still have a job for you, but it's in one of these three other cities. And one of them, I'd never been to any of them, uh, but the most metropolitan of the three, surprisingly, was Detroit. And so after the three months of training in New York, I moved to Detroit and I was there for about a year working you know, in their private wealth. It's kind of like you know, working for stockbrokers, but for really, really rich people, people that have made their money in the auto industry. I mean, there's so much money that has been made in the auto industry. The guy who makes the gas cap that goes on to Fords, I mean, he's a jillionaire. And the guy who makes windshield wipers, he's made $50 million. So uh, there's a lot of money there. And we're working to invest that money. And, um, you know, what, what I learned there is that this job is interesting, but I still kind of had that itch to do investment banking. Um, I was actually really good at the wealth management job. You know, you're talking to clients, you're external facing. Um, but you t- I guess, you know, when you have something, you kind of are always looking for the next thing. And so I kind of took that, all that client interaction for granted. And I was like, still like, how do I get into investment making? How do I do that? And so I actually moved out to Los Angeles. I was dating a girl and we met in New York, but she was living in Los Angeles. And so I got JP Morgan to move me to Los Angeles, still within the, uh, you know, the asset management analyst program umbrella. And I kind of finished out the analyst program in LA, uh, and, I did really well, and I thought, okay, this is this is great. Instead of becoming an associate, they call it A to A, analyst to associate. Instead of becoming associate in J.P. Morgan's like private wealth group, I'll become an associate in their investment banking group. And as I came to learn with these companies that have hundreds of thousands of employees and very strict ways that they do business and do hiring, that that wasn't going to work. And so my boss at J.P. Morgan said, you know, I'll make some calls around town to try to get you an investment banking job. And he lined up a couple interviews for me. 
And it just so happened that this firm, Houlihan Loki, they had a need in their restructuring group. And so I can get into what restructuring investment banking is. But I said, okay, it wasn't really what I thought I'd be doing, but sounds great. So I went and did the super days where you have seven hour interviews. And uh, I actually got the job to be an analyst there. So kind of went from one analyst program to another analyst program and did that for uh, almost two years and got the skill set that I wanted worked those hundred hour weeks back to back to back all nighters, very little appreciation for your work, but you learn a lot. And so I learned, you know, how to understand company valuations and build financial models and really just corporate finance one-on-one. Uh, but you know, there was just some things that just, it really wasn't for me. And so it's funny, something that you chase for so long, oh, I want to invest in making IB, I want to work hard and long, and then you do it. And it's like, ah, you know, I was better at the other job, frankly. And, but was that uh, passion, that, that kind of entrepreneurial passion always, you know, bubbling up to the surface? You know, I wish it was because I would, you, you, you get one of these jobs and that passion kind of gets beaten out of you. So there's really no room for entrepreneurship, for doing what things your way in these big organizations. Like you're an analyst in a bank in a specific group and you have a very, very defined role and they don't want you thinking outside the box and they want you building financial models, building PowerPoint presentations and doing your job. And so I kind of, this is the reason I really wasn't great at it. I didn't realize at the time, but I always wanted to do things my way or uh, I had my own way of seeing things and that's not what they were paying you money for. And so I was never that great at the job. I mean, I could do it, but I wasn't ever that great. And so I ended up leaving to go work for a a digital media company, basically doing, again, internal investment making. I still said, okay, now I have this skill set. How do I exploit it to its fullest? And so I went and worked like in-house investment making, buying websites. And it was... I said, I, I guess it was closer to my skill set, but it was still like, I was a pretty defined role. Um, and so it really wasn't fulfilling all of my passions. And I thought, let's just go to business school. Let's figure out what's, what's right for me. So I went to UCLA Anderson for business school. And that's where the entrepreneurship bug kind of was rekindled, rekindled inside of me. It's like, what am I doing chasing all these jobs that like maybe they're prestigious? It's what other people think is great. But for me, it, it, it never was really right. And so in business school, I started a podcasting company out of business school. I'm working for a fintech company here in LA. And so the spirit, uh, the passion is kind of rekindled. And it's, it's honestly, Shauna, it's taken some time. Like it's not it's just like anything else. It takes practice to think of businesses and get your mind back in this mode. And so that's, that's what I'm doing now. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet. 
finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete.me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. 
Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-T-M for your extended 30-day free trial. And I think that's that's really, you know, exciting. And I think that, you know, if, if more of us shared our path to finding, you know, even close to what we what we really think aligns with our skill set, I think we would all figure out that we're a lot more alike than we're different. But I think you know, as a society, especially with social media, we like to share just the the moment of success and the success story. And it's it's so um it's so misleading because there are so many struggles behind that to actually get to that point. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who's maybe where you were at before business school and kind of struggling to figure out like you know, they just don't feel like they fit where they're at and they're not sure how to make any changes. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. And that's probably a huge component of figuring out your life, your path, your career. And for me, it happened in business school. And I can tell you the most valuable moment I had in business school. And this is how I started to figure things out. But we were in you know, one of these softer classes. I think it was you know, advanced communication or something like, something like that. And the professor had us write down a couple of times when we felt like we were being our most authentic self. And I think he defined that as, you know, you feel like you're firing on all cylinders, everything is working and you're creative and smart and fast moving. And okay, so I wrote down four or five instances and I'm looking at these and it's like, man, every single one of these times I'm doing something entrepreneurial, I'm starting a business, I'm working on an idea of starting a business. And it's like, wow. Uh, And so that was kind of the light bulb moment for me because it's, you know, like, it's tough not to want to chase these prestigious jobs. You know, I had jobs that pay a lot of money out of undergrad and you work with people from Harvard and Wharton. And um, and so there's some fulfillment from that, but that's really like kind of a fake sense of fulfillment because it's what other people want and it's what other people value. And so figuring out what's valuable to you is a whole different exercise. Yeah, that I think that's so great. You know, I wish... 
that we spent more time thinking about that. Like, where are you your most authentic self? Because like you said, I think we spend too much time trying to be what somebody else wants us to be. And I know I've definitely done this in my life. And it is like, it's actually painful. (laughs) It doesn't make you feel very good, you know, and then it's a struggle to try and get to that place where, you know, you, you are, you know, your most authentic self. I mean, especially myself as a, as a, you know, certified financial planner, I've always felt like I don't fit the traditional model. And yet, especially being a female, and yet there isn't really a model for what I want to do. And so it's a little bit scary to kind of create it yourself. Um, What would you say, you know, there's a lot of listeners that are juggling that that question of, you know, do I do I leave behind what I've been doing and go to business school, even though it's expensive, even though maybe it adds more, you know, student loan debt than, you know, they already had, you know, how do you, what advice do you give to to really figure out that question and whether it's right for you? Yeah, so you have to look at it on a case by case basis, and it's different for everyone. So it's, it's a pretty easy choice. If you have some obscure background, some creative background, you were in the army, whatever it is, and you want to go work in investment banking or management consulting or in business development for Amazon uh, or in marketing for Apple, like you want to go do one of those things. MBA is the way to do it. It's you go to business school, you go to one of the top 20 schools, you punch the ticket, you get on the roller coaster, you do what you need to do, and you can get one of those jobs for a big company. And basically, that's the only way that you can get, you know, if you haven't done investment banking, and you want to go be a banking associate, or you want to go work, you know, for Bain or Deloitte or McKinsey and management consulting. um, Those are I call them window jobs. And like windows open up for you right out of undergrad, and then again, right out of business school. But other than that, like, you're not going to get one of those jobs. So that's, you know, you write down your authentic self and it's like, yeah, I really need to do management consulting, then fine. Business school is great. If you are like me and you're just, you know, in a job, you don't think it's quite right for you. You just kind of want, you don't know what's right for you. You want to find yourself again, business school can be beneficial, but not necessary. Like for me, I didn't have to go to business school to become an entrepreneur, right? I didn't need to take a hundred thousand dollars of debt to, to do that. I mean, I wouldn't have maybe found myself. So I'm not uh, regretful that I did it, but it's not like I needed to go get one of these window jobs. So if you're able to figure it out without business school, you know, kudos, more, more power to you. If you're not, you're never going to regret going to business school. It's like one of these decisions where it's an incredible, incredible two years. You make connections for the rest of your life. You learn incredible skills um, you just have access to uh, access is probably the biggest part of it. I mean, you're a student again, but you kind of have more wherewithal to take advantage of it. So you travel and you party and you enjoy life. And for me, I did coffee chats. Like I would email, this is kind of how I started the podcasting business, but I was emailing CEOs and saying, Hey, I'm a student. Can we grab a coffee? Can we have a quick chat? And you know, when you send that from a UCLA email address, it's a pretty good hit rate. So I got a lot, I was having incredible conversations and I thought, Hey, what if I put a microphone in in front of some of these people and we, you know, good practice starting a little business. And I never thought that I would come to that, but look how business school led me down that path. And then it led me to this FinTech startup. And so 
it's not to say that you can't find yourself or find your next thing without business school, but it definitely facilitates it. Yeah. And you made a really interesting point, which I think that, again, we don't talk enough about this, that, you know, we're always talking about, you know, saving more money and spending less and, you know, uh, knowing your expenses and all of those, you know, real, I think, foundational lessons when it comes to money. But what you're talking about is also like, you knew how much it would cost you to go get your MBA. And yet, you were willing to say, okay, you know, that's worth that expense if, you know, A, I find myself or B, I discover a new path that I'm supposed to be on or I make certain connections. So you were willing to take that risk for that amount of money for the payoff being bigger than you could have imagined. You know, t- talk a little bit about that because I don't think we we talk enough about that. Um, you know, sometimes spending money is a, is a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, millennials, your audience, uh, are pretty apt to spend money on experiences. And going to business school for two years is, I'm going to argue, the best experience you can get in your entire life, at, at, least, at least one of them. So, yeah, there's, that's, it's a, it's, there's not a concrete analysis that you can do unless you want to go get a job for one of these big companies. You can figure out what they pay. You know, most companies... Uh, Pay MBA, graduating MBAs about $150,000 plus maybe you get some kind of sign on bonus. And so, all in, you're a little over $200,000. So, if you make $100,000 before business school, you spend $100,000 going to business school, plus you gave up $100,000 a year of salary so that you're into it for $300,000. And you go make an incremental $100,000 per year. I mean, that's pretty quick math. It's a three year return. I mean, most. Uh, investors would take a three-year return. Like that's very, very quick payback cycle. For me, I was making pretty good money, and now I literally make hundreds of dollars per week. So <laughs> the payback <laughs> period is is going to be much longer for me. But I yes, yeah, so there's not a, there's not a concrete analysis that you can do. But it's just a life experience, and yeah, you're right. I was willing to pay for that experience. Yeah, I, I think that's great. So tell us a little bit about your your journey to the fintech and um, you know, maybe some of the the good things that you've learned and maybe some of the things that uh you didn't know before you got into it. Yeah, so this is like my so I've done startups, but this is like I've done startups with myself and with a few buddies. This we're going after venture funding, we're trying to make a huge business and it's it's quite different. And so uh, you know, I guess the adage of like you learn by doing and yeah, like we are learning a lot as we go and we're making tons of mistakes. And so now if this startup works, if it doesn't work, I mean, I hope it works. That'd be great. But for my next startup, I've learned already so many things and I've only been in this company for six months. So really what we're doing is we're creating an app software for large groups to collect payments. And so think about collecting money from 50 people how do you do that? And today that's done. Someone's got some crazy Excel spreadsheet and people are paying them in cash and checks and Venmo and PayPal and someone's managing it all. Uh, so what our app does is it centralizes that entire process. Very simple to add people either from your contact list or from Facebook into your group. 
everyone can see who's in the group. And then you can request and charge money from people within the group, everybody or some people. And then depending on whether it's an open or closed group, people from there can see who's paid uh, and who hasn't paid. So there's a, a transparency level to it that makes it a lot simpler for large groups to collect money. And then, and, and then from, from there, there's some cool aspects of um, some financing options and being able to issue debit cards to the group. But the core issue is helping large groups collect and track uh, who's paid and who hasn't paid. And so, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. We've been developing this app and the software for almost a year now, and we're really close to launch. But again, it's a startup and we're tight on cash. And every day it's like, are we going to run out of money today? Is this app going to be done today? Is Do we have the right banking partners? I mean, because again, this is a serious app. There's going to be lots and lots of money flowing through it. We got to make sure that it's very tight. Like you can't lose someone's money. Um, and so there, there've been a lot, a lot of challenges, but you know, with those challenges, we have incredible days, but it's, it's definitely not like working in investment banking where kind of every day you have some good days, you have some bad days, but in the startup world, like the highs and the lows are just like so extreme. And so it's, it's been quite interesting. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, you know, and I think, you know, sharing stories like this, again, it helps uh, connect the listeners and remind us all that we are very much all alike. So last question for you, you know, we talked early on about, about passion and obviously finding your most authentic self. What sort of takeaway tip would you give to the listeners? You know, we're in a new year. Uh, we're always thinking about kind of how to, how to better ourselves, maybe how to change things up in our lives. What have you learned about the journey of chasing after your passion? Yeah. So, I mean, this is the million dollar, the $64 million question, however you want to say it. Um, you know, it's basically, as I said, kind of earlier in the podcast, I think the first step is identifying what your passion is. And that can be really hard. I mean, people know like, oh, I'm passionate about you know watching football or I'm passionate about hanging out with my friends. Okay, great. But if that can, if you can figure out a way to monetize those passions, then fantastic. But uh, you know, I think you have to look deeper. So I, you know, I mentioned that I started a podcasting business. I wouldn't say that I was passionate about podcasts. I would say I was, you know, an avid listener, very interested, listening to lots of podcasts. And then I was, I was having these interesting, thought-provoking conversations. I thought, hey, you know, I can make a podcast. And it's not something that I ever thought I would do. It's not like I was you know, some podcasting guru. I had no idea how to do that. But now I got practiced starting one, building a website, building a little podcast business and brand and trying to make money from it. And look, I mean, I don't make lots of money from it, but I think it's on the path and it's growing and I definitely enjoy doing it. And it gets me to speak with super interesting people like yourself and other CEOs who come on the podcast. And so it's just, it's just putting yourself out there and not kind of being afraid to take risks. I am a huge believer in taking risks. And I know that that's not quite right for everybody. I mean, I gave up a great job that paid me lots of money to go to business school and now have jobs that pay me very little money. So that's not for everybody. I mean, a lot of people get into a job and say, I'm comfortable here. I'm making good money here. I have a good work-life balance here. That's it. I don't, I don't need more, even if it's not 
kind of fulfilling all of my things that I wanted to fulfill in a job. And so you just have to ask yourself, is like, is this good enough or, or do I want more? And if you, the answer is that you want more, then step one, identifying what your passions are. Uh, and step two of, you know, coming home from work and instead of turning on Netflix and having a beer, like researching uh, how to start a business, ideas, Inc. Magazine is, is cool. Like, you know, that's all about startups. I, I read that every month and I've, I don't get startup ideas from there, but it kind of starts that, uh, that engine about thinking of businesses. And because that's just like anything else, it's like practice. Thinking of a business is, is practice. You have to think of a thousand bad ones before you think of, of what's right. I love that. Yeah, this is, this is such great advice. You know, Alex, thank you so much for sharing your story. Tell the listeners where they can find you and kind of all of the different ventures you're working on. Yeah. So the way you can find me is I have a podcast. It's called Wall Street Oasis Podcast. And we talk with people in and around the world of investment banking, private equity, hedge funds, CEOs of companies, and kind of how they got to where they are, why they got to where they are, why they left investment banking, why they're still in investment banking and working 100 hours a week. Like, is that right for them? Is that wrong for them? Um, and so it's kind of inside the world of, of Wall Street. And the podcast is called Wall Street Oasis. You can email me, alex at wallstreetoasis.com. And yeah, I hope you check that out. And the, the fintech company is called Pay Club. And we used to have a very beautiful website that we spent probably a thousand hours creating. Uh, and then we changed the name to Pay Club. And now we have a very, very, very simple website that also works. And so that's one of the things you learn is, uh, you know, maybe that we didn't need such a grandiose website for a startup, but you uh, live and you learn, Shauna, right? Absolutely, Alex. That is, I think, the motto that we should uh, keep in mind every year is just that you live and learn. And I think that's what makes life really exciting. So, you know, after listening to this podcast, you know, maybe you don't want to get your MBA, maybe you don't want to go into startup world, but hopefully what you can take away from this episode is that you need to chase after something that you're passionate about. And I know that that's, you know, popular speak. We hear that all the time. And sometimes we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really is true. There needs to be something in you that comes alive where a place where your passion and your strengths collide and, you know, you really can find your sweet spot. So as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. And if you love this podcast, do me a favor, share it with your friends, shout it out on social media, and head on over to the link in the show notes to leave us a five-star review. 